Good morning, Side Life Church. How you guys doing? Everybody's okay? It's a beautiful day to be alive, I must say. I'm going to slide this in. Some of you all know, some of you don't, but I'm going to tell you, today's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I'm a whopping 52 years old, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Anyway, man, God bless you. So glad to see you. Glad you're watching online. If you're joining us, thank you so much. Hey, we're going to continue right on in our Acts series. And if you remember, we left off last week. We had a, a, a Roman centurion soldier, a couple of servants uh, that were Gentiles. We had Peter and a few of his Jewish friends all walking down the street. So you got a centurion soldier, some Gentiles, and some Jews walking down the street. Start of a really horrible joke, sounds like, right? <laughs> well, so in order to make sure, we're going to keep going. And we're going to make sure we get a good understanding of what was happening in here. This is the story of Cornelius. If you remember, Cornelius, this centurion soldier, had had a vision. And in that vision, he was told to send some men to Joppa to get Peter and to bring Peter back. And so they did that. Peter subsequently had his own vision, and he knew that some guys were going to knock on his door. And after that, he hears a knock. There stands these guys. He lodges them for a night, and then this journey, this trek uh, for a day, day and a half or so journey, heading back to Caesarea. And this is where we start. So Acts chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 24. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, Acts chapter 10, verse 24 is where we're going to start. And we'll work our way from 10, 24, all the way to the end of uh, chapter 10, and we'll jump in to chapter 11. And we'll cover chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And so we'll see this story of Cornelius and what happened with him. So Acts chapter 10, verse 24 reads like this. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius is waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. So I want us to realize so what's going on here. So you got Cornelius... This centurion soldier, uh, an officer in the centurion army, he is standing here. And so the Bible, as we look back last chapters or so, was saying that Cornelius was a really good man. He was a God-fearer, according to what the Scripture said. I mean, he, in this case, believed in the God of Israel. So no doubt that somewhere along the way, however, it doesn't chronicle how, but he had encountered the God of Israel and he had begun to follow or worship this God. And he was faithful even in his worship of the God of Israel. He prayed regularly every day according to the scripture. He gave alms to the poor. He encountered God. He feared God. These are all great characteristics of this man, Cornelius. So he knew who God was. And so it's not really hard to think beyond that. I know who God is. I've heard about this Jesus guy because this would have been about nine, ten years after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and resurrected, that he might have not seen or, or directly encountered Jesus himself. But if you think about that ten-year window, whether he was a little boy, sometime or another, he heard about this Jesus guy and that this Jesus was supposed to be the Son of God who he serves. And he might have heard some things about Jesus but didn't know him for himself. So now in a vision... God has sent him to an apostle of Jesus. So he would have probably, he might have not have ever met Peter at this point, but he heard about him. 
And he said, well, this guy must have been an eyewitness to who Jesus is. So there's something that this message that this man needs to tell me. So in the vision, bring him to me. And he called together his relatives and his close friends, according to what the scripture said. Can you imagine the anticipation that Cornelius was having? I know the God of Israel. I've heard of this Jesus guy. Here's one of his apostles. I've had a vision to go get him and bring him to me. I really want to hear what he has to say. Because in my vision, he said, he will tell you everything that you must do. And so Cornelius, having this understanding, went even beyond just wanting to hear it from himself. He got his family and his close friends, and he gathered them together to hear whatever this message was that this apostle of Jesus was going to have to say. This huge news, he told his people, I want you to know because I care about you. How many of you all, if you knew you had come into, oh, I won't say money because it's always crazy. I'll say it. Have you come in with great wealth and you know that, man, on tomorrow I'm going to be picking up this, nest, this nice big stack of money and it's going to be untold and unlimited. Man, I got to tell my closest friends and family, I want you here when this arrives. Why? Because I want you to celebrate and enjoy this great news that I'm about to share with you that we don't got to go to work tomorrow, right? Yeah. So in this case... He has this news that he's anticipating, and he knows it's such good news that he doesn't want to keep it just to himself. So he gathers together his family and his close friends, and he, as he talked to him, he went in and found out uh, who had come together. So, oh, I'm skipped up. Let me, get, let me get slow down. We're going to go now to Acts chapter 10, starting at 25, and see what happened. And we'll go there. And it says, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself and also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So again, now Peter gets there. Cornelius has the people set up and ready to go. They're standing, waiting on him to come in. And the first part of this, as Peter was coming in, we can preach a whole sermon on just that fact. As Peter was coming in, he had arrived at the Gentile's house. The Gentile had gathered together more Gentiles. And it wasn't just one that I'm going to ease in and talk to, but I got a house full or a living room full or a courtyard full of Gentiles waiting to hear me, and I'm going in. So Peter was coming in, and then when, when he saw him, Cornelius was so happy about what he was hoping to get. He, he probably had heard about all of the things that Peter had done over in Joppa. He heard that Peter had come to a man and, and, and healed him from being crippled for eight years. He probably heard that T Tabitha was raised from the dead by this guy. And now he's like, man, here he comes. And so when he comes, he falls to his knees and begins to worship Peter. Peter said, no, 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 no. Stand up. I don't know what you've heard about me. But I, too, am just a man. The things you've heard about me, all the things that I've done, if you listen at what was said, I did them in the name of Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Peter didn't want any credit. He said, I did all those things. Yeah, that's true. But they aren't of me. They're of God. I'm the wrong one to worship to. Stand up with me because I am just a man. So then Peter begins to explain to him in Acts 10, 28 through 29, then he said to him, 
Now, get this. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Peter wanted to make sure without a shadow of a doubt that Cornelius knew that me being here is no easy feat. As we talked about last week, we said miracles happen when we move. And in this case, Peter had to leave his lodging, and he had to get up and travel over a day's journey to get where he's going in order to share this. And now, not only am I doing this, I am traveling openly and publicly with Gentiles. I am traveling with a Roman soldier that would have been in his guard. People would see me walking with you. And now when I get here, I come into your house. That's a miracle. He wanted to make sure that Cornelius knew it. And it's almost like still he was kind of holding on maybe a little bit. Like, hey, I heard all the good stuff you've done, but you're still a Gentile. I'm a Jew, and so you're a little bit below where I am. As far as, 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 as status, I'm God's chosen. Our, 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 our Jewish nation, we've been called out, and you're a Gentile. And it's unlawful against my Jewish traditions and laws for me to come into your house. Yet I'm coming in to your house. Peter wanted to make certain he knew this. Now, he set him up for what was coming next. I want you to know, don't get it twisted. I'm not supposed to be here. But then I love what he said after he made that, he go back again, I'll read it one more time. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go into one of another nation. Then the next two words, hallelujah, glory to the name of God, says, but God. Yeah. And I can imagine Peter, as he was walking to and going in, he was flashing back to the things that God had accomplished and done through him, Peter. And I can imagine Peter thinking back, man, when, I, when the beginning of this church, this, this understanding of the way of Jesus Christ happened, I remember before that I had denied my friend, Rooster Crow, to remind me when he told me that I would deny him. And I went back to doing the things I used to do. But then Jesus was raised from the dead. He showed himself to me and he asked me, Peter, do you love me? And successive times I said, yeah, you know I love you. You know all things. Then I preached my first sermon, and 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Peter would say, but God. I was going into the temple one day, and I came across a man that had been, had been paralyzed since birth. He couldn't walk since birth. And he looked at me as he wanted something, and I told him, silver and gold, I don't have to give you, but such that I have, I give to you. And I begin to tell him in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he got up, but God. I can imagine when he went into his room and he began to pray when this woman was stretched out dead, Tabitha, before him. And he's recounting these things. I got on my knees and I prayed. This woman was dead, but God called her back to life. But God. And now here I stand, a good Jewish boy. I've been circumcised. I followed the Mosaic law. I am here with you, me, Peter, with you, not me, but God. Yeah. 
He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. See, Peter had time to process the vision that he had now. Go in, kill and eat from these unclean animals. And he said, not so, Lord. I'm not going to do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I know I'm not supposed to eat that. Not so, not so, not so. And then Peter was contemplating what this dream meant when he heard the knock on the door. So somewhere between the knock on the door, the night of sleeping, the morning of walking to Caesarea, Peter got clarity for what this message really meant. He had time to process it and think. And now he changes the language. It wasn't anymore about animals. If you go back and listen at that very little bitty small uh, 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 insertion. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So God had already cleaned him up. God had already showed him clearly. It's not about the animals. It's not about the food. It's about my people. And I have sent you to him, and you cannot call him unclean. He had gained clarity on the vision, and now Peter understood his assignment. And we can continue on in verse, uh, Acts 10, 33, 30 through 33, and we see he asked him, for what reason have you sent me? And so Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, here whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. It's so funny to me because so many times, like he says, he asked him, why is it that you sent for me? Now, he already knew. I mean, he, he got the same vision. A man called you. He sent for you. He's going to give you everything that you need to know. How many of y'all know that God already knows everything that you think? I don't care how private you think your thoughts are. You don't have one that God doesn't know. So if God doesn't know, if he knows them all, why does he ask us stuff that he already knows the answer to, right? Because God wants, he knows it, but he wants you to come to this understanding and this knowledge. And so Peter being uh, a form of fashion after Jesus Christ asked the same question. Why is it, Cornelius? that you want me to come here? What is it you called for, sent men to get me, to bring me back here to you today? What is the world do you want me to come for here, come here for? He said, have you done well to come? Therefore, not only have you, you done well to come, but all of these people that are in this presence have come to hear the thing that you have to say. Whatever it is that you have to say, Peter, is a big deal. Because listen to what he said at the end of that. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded of you by God. So what you're about to say, what's coming out of your mouth is before God in his presence. It's from God, and he's about to tell us something. And I've, I know it. I felt it in my spirit when I had the vision, and now I've gotten my family, my closest friends. We want to hear it. 
And I used to be a second grade teacher, so we talk about this story arc. And you start off and you begin again with the main, the main thing. You meet the main character, and you get the plot. Then the plot starts to grow and it's getting higher and higher. And you get to the top. And then now there's where you're going to have this great epiphany that's going to have your climax of your story. So Peter and these guys have arrived and they've anticipated now this whole family, this room of Gentiles, anxiously waiting to hear what God has to say. And now... I hope it's built up something in us. I want to know. Don't you want to know? What is God going to, what message is God going to give to this centurion from Peter, an apostle of Jesus, that has had a change of heart? Now let's see what it says in Acts chapter 10, 34 through 36. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, dun, dun, dun. Here it goes. He opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Hallelujah. That's the message. That's what they were anticipating. That's the buildup. That's why I sent men to Joppa to get you because I know God had something to tell me. I knew the God of Israel. I know him from the stories that I've heard. Cornelius might have been the one that heard the story of, of, of God spreading the, red, spreading the Red Sea and allowing his people to walk in on dry land. He said, man, I, I could get behind that God. He, he, he took these slaves and, and he, he had them leave this city from a hardened Pharaoh and not only leave, but take everything they have, sack them, get all their gold, get all their silver. Pharaoh's like, take everything you can put your hands on, just go. I saw the power of that God. I saw him take him into a land of enemies that he called a promised land. And I've seen that God have his people walk around the city and the walls of that city fall. I've known that God and his might. That's why I fear him. That's why I pray to him. That's why I give alms to him. I know all of those things. But there's this Jesus thing that I'm now learning because he said again, the word of God has sent the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This thing that Peter said to the Gentiles, he said, God is not a God of partiality. He is not concerned. He could care less for what nation or ethnic group you're from. He could care less for what political party you are in. He could care less about the color of your skin. He has no partiality. He doesn't care about your gender. You can be man or woman. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about your socioeconomic status. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care about you, Cornelius, or what rank you have in the, in the Roman army. He doesn't care about Caesar. He doesn't care about none of those things. God shows no partiality. He is concerned with the heart's of all people, not a certain people. I know that in the scriptures, he called out the Jewish people to be his church. He called them out. They were in ecclesia, called out from the world. 
to be established his word with them, his covenant with them. That was part of it. He was called out of the world. The next one is the word Nietzsche, M-I-T-T-R-E. It means to be sent out. So not only did I pull you out or separate you, that's what you've experienced, my grace, Israel, Jewish people. Yes, you are my people. But there's more to that. Now I want you to carry my gospel, and it has to go to everyone. He's not concerned with the hearts of just a few, but the hearts of all. So this story is not just a story about Cornelius, if we listen at it. It's a story about every one of us in this room, everyone that's listening to my voice. It's for anyone who's ever been separated from God. It's from anyone that had ever been disenfranchised, from anyone that, for whatever reason, uh, uh, this gospel was not given to me. At this time, you're a Gentile. You're not circumcised. You're a Gentile. You're not following the Mosaic law. So it's not accessible, this stuff I got. You can get that. You can hang on. You can be a guard fear, and we respect you, but you can't have this, this, this gospel of Jesus. Now God has blown the doors off of this thing. He has torn the veil from top to bottom. There's now no separation from Jew or Gentile. It is open to all nations. The gospel, if you have your notes, is for all nations. The gospel is for all people groups. Carrying the gospel to all nations was God's plan from the very beginning. He already knew from the beginning that the way he was going to reconcile his people back to him was through his son, Jesus Christ. How many of y'all have heard the phrase, the term, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So there was something about Jesus from the beginning that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit were together. Jesus, God already knew that Adam was going to fall. He already knew that he was going to send his son Jesus to reconcile people back to him. It was already a done thing. It has always been, the gospel has always been for all nations. I don't care how we want to hoard it for ourselves. According to the word, it is for all nations. We see it right in Genesis 8, 18. This is what it says. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him... All nations of the earth will be blessed. The covenant that God made with Abraham, he tells him, not only will you have the lineage, not only will you be blessed, but because of you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm opening up to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. That's Old Testament. Jesus concealed. New Testament, we're reminded of it in Galatians 3, 8 through 9. It references this very understanding. It says, the scripture, foreseeing that God, foreseeing, already knowing that it's coming, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham believed, had faith in God, and because of his belief, it's opened up to all nations. So now after this, he see, Peter let him know that this is the message, that now this gospel is not just for us, it's for all nations. But you got God, I'm about to give you his son. 
And so we look at verses 37 through 43, we see Peter do this exact thing. He began to take it back and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Cornelius, his family, and his close friends. He goes back and he talks about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, that is the gospel. He said, it began with John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus the Christ. And he talked about how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went on to tell him that Jesus went about doing great things, performing all kinds of signs and wonders. And he was looking at those that were oppressed by the devil. And he was giving them freedom simply because God was with him. And God was with Jesus, and, 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 and he was sharing his life with those that were around and doing all these miraculous signs. And then he said, this man, God, that was sent down, that was God the Father that now taken on human flesh and has been, is God the Son in this iteration, and now God the Son had walked the world free of sin, never did anything sinful, never separated himself from God. But you know what people did? Sinful people did. He told them they hung him from a tree. They killed him, using this term for, for, for crucifixion. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But here's the thing. But God, hallelujah again, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. He's telling Christ, but on that day, God the Father, the one you serve, sent his son to die for me and you and all of those that can hear my voice. But he had him killed. He died on the tree. He was crucified. He was put in the ground, buried. Three days later, however, The power of God raised him from the dead, and now he has all power and authority in his hands. So then he tells him that we, his disciples, were commanded at that point to preach and testify that Jesus was the judge of the living and the dead. Because of what God did through his son, he has the power to judge those that are living and those that have passed because he's conquered life and he's conquered death and the grave. And then he reminds them that all the prophets witnessed this in the Old Testament. Those prophets and those books that come out, those prophets witnessed that through his name, Jesus, whoever believes in him, will receive remission of sin or forgiveness of sin. They will receive and receive remission of sin. That means their sins will be forgiven. That thing that separated them from God has now been reconciled through the blood of Christ then you know what the sad part is today? Well, let me go back. That happened all of this, to that point. It started out with guys that Jesus had went to, 12 individuals, that he called and he raised to maturity. And then he's talked to his father and he tells him, God, he said, I've completed the work you've given me to do. He said, now glorify me on earth. I mean, in heaven, if I glorified you on earth, I've completed the work that you've given me to do. And this was prior to Jesus dying on the cross. And he said, that work that I completed was I raised these 12 men to have my message of salvation in their hearts, using my message to share it with the world. And they didn't even know it at that point. They kept it with the 12. Soon thereafter, the day of Pentecost, there were like 120 or so disciples there. Now he blew it open. The Holy Spirit came upon that place. Peter preached his sermon. 3,000 people were added. And it was a continuation of the adding and the adding of the church. Even to this very day, all of us that are in this room that are listening, are, we, are re- we are directly related to that first call to those 12 disciples. And we're still doing it now. But here's the sad part. This is what I've experienced. I'm doing some research. 95% of all Christians, 
have never won a soul to Christ. 95% of all professing Christians have never led someone to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if I look at this room, and this is all the Christians, to those that are listening, this is all the Christians in the whole world, 95% of us will never have, have shared the gospel so that someone will be one to Christ. Now, why is that? This is what we need to reconcile. See, Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter had it. He had it to himself along with his Jewish brothers, and they were hoarding it. But now he saw this big, big vision, and God said, no, no, take it out. So he was obedient, and he began to do those things, and now everything is blown off the wall. But what about now? What about from this day going forward? How is the gospel extending itself to all nations? Are we keeping the same command that God has no partiality? Are we carrying the gospel? Why is it if we're not? Is it because we don't know what the gospel is? Is that it? I mean, I mean seriously, we have to ask ourselves, do I really know? If somebody walked up to me and said, hey, what is the gospel? Everybody says the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Do you know? Who'd like to stand? No, I'm joking. <laughs> right? But here we go. So, so it, it, it's, it's like this, this method called keep it simple, saints. <laughs> keep it simple, saints. We're not going to say that other word. Keep it simple, saints. All it is is what Peter talked to him about, what Peter said about Jesus of Nazareth, how he come, he lived, he died, was resurrected. That's the simplicity of the gospel. We don't have to add all of these bells and whistles. We got to preach Jesus Christ living as a sinless man sent from God as God the Father, God the Son sent him now to live. He dies on the cross by being crucified, placed in the grave for three days, but God in his infinite power raised him from the dead with all power in his hands. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be reconciled to God except through him. Now, that wasn't too hard, was it? That was three simple things, and if you want to look at it in the Scripture, you can look at it, you can go to Romans, you can look at it online, and you can find different ways to share the gospel. But if you've heard nothing else today, there is no partiality. There's no reason that you should hoard the gospel for yourself and your immediate family. And if you didn't know, now you know. Here's what it says, and I'll kind of help us walk through. Romans 3.23 helps us understand that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, not a person living except for Jesus that ever walked without sin, sin in thought or deed. And sin, any, any measure of it, separates you from God. And anything that's separate from God is dead. We understand that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we've sinned, which tells us now, Romans 6.23 Yes, we've sinned, and because of our sin, the wage of our sin or the payment for our sin is death. That's sad. That's bad news. Everybody sinned, and the payment, our just desserts, our due for what we've done in sin is death. But I love the common, I love the but, and it's another one of those but God moments. But, however, the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Bad news, we've sinned, we're separate from God. Good news is if we accept his son, Jesus, we have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 tells us this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. 
If you believe, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That's the gospel. Keep it simple, saints. Now, what happens now when the gospel comes to Cornelius and his family? At 44 through 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who had heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard that them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he asked them to stay a few days. See, they got baptized by the Holy Spirit. I love what it said. While he was still speaking, Peter was beginning to give his understanding of who Jesus was. And in the middle of his speaking, if it was like we were in this room, and if somebody, maybe it is true, somebody in this room, say, by listening, maybe now heard about this Jesus that we just shared the gospel about, and they jumped up and started saying, I believe. I believe in it. I can imagine that room that's like popcorn starting to go off. I believe. I believe. I believe. We believe. And then it says the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those that heard the word, and they began to speak with tongues and to magnify God. They didn't. It was amazing because it said that those Jews that were with Peter, they were astonished because these were men of the circumcision. They knew that they had to be circumcised. They knew that they had to be obey the Mosaic laws. They knew that the scripture said that the Messiah was coming to them, right? They thought, man, wait a minute. These people in this room haven't done any of that. In a moment, in a second, when the Holy Spirit was in, when, when God introduced Jesus to Cornelius and those guys and they believed, the pouring of the Holy Spirit was dropped in on them. They didn't have to go get circumcised for it. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. God did everything immediately. There is no partiality with God. There's no hoops and loops you got to jump through in order to be a Christian to follow Christ. Those are the circumcision. I love that. Peter's boys, the ones that he said, hey, I need y'all to come with me. I'm going to Caesarea. Yes, what? We're going to follow the two, the two servants in this room. Yeah, come on. He knew, God is so cool with it. He knew this guy had to have somebody to witness it. He said, because if Peter would have saw this by himself and tried to go back and tell the other folk, Nobody would have believed him. He had to have witnesses to what just happened. And so these guys were astonished at what they witnessed. Now, after they'd seen the Holy Spirit poured out, Peter said, man, it's, I got to do, do exactly what Jesus did with us. It's time to get baptized. Where's the water? How can I stop these men from going in and be baptized? Where is the water? And it's cool. These same, Gentile, I mean, same uh, Jewish boys that walked there with Peter, y'all go baptize them. They weren't baptizing themselves. They ain't know nothing about baptism. They had to have these same ones that had witnessed Jesus Christ that had kept it for themselves. They had to wash away. I can imagine when they were in that water, it was like a baptism and rebirth for themselves. Because now they got to take these former Gentiles and raise them up to walk in the newness of life. Now they have experienced and received the Holy Spirit. So after that, we continue on. We're going to shift now to, to, to chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1. Peter has done this thing. They baptized these people. Uh, they stayed a few days, according to what the Scripture said. Now some of that news must have already gotten back uh, when they got back, when they reached back to their, their area in Judea. 
It says, now the apostles, it's starting at verse 1, now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. And they said, you went into an uncircumcised, you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them? And Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying, and he began to tell his story, the first thing that these people said after they'd heard that the Holy Spirit fell instantly on people that professed Jesus as Lord, and this great number of people or whatever small number of people were baptized, now they had the Holy Spirit to carry it. The first thing and the only thing they could say, you went in and you ate with them? How horrible is that? Seriously, think about that. The first thing on your mind is that you can go in and you went into a Gentile's house. They put all that legalism and religion before the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's wrong. It should not happen then, and it should not happen now. The first thing they thought about was food. But Peter went in and had to tell them. Let me tell you from the beginning. I had a vision. Four sheets. A sheep with four corners, animals of all kind of variety, clean and unclean. The Lord said in the vision, kill and eat. And I was starving, by the way, but he tells me, kill and eat. And I said, not so, Lord. Three times, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. But God knocked me off my feet and said, yeah, you're going to do it. These men are going to knock on your door. You're going to go with them. And I want you to doubt nothing. So Peter retells that vision, tells about, he said, I know it's not about the food. It's not about our religious dogmas. None of that. It's simply about Jesus Christ. This whole message of this chapter of Cornelius is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Amen. You all are carriers of the good news. The Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, and I love this, and it's 15 through 18. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and is upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to us, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to, to withstand God? Who was I to withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. And then they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. Praise God. Hallelujah. The thing that I love about this, Peter said, I remembered what was said in the Word. Have you ever heard of this thing called the Tetradon of Fire? Right, it's the three components that need to be uh, in position or in place in order for a fire to happen. You have to have oxygen, a fuel source, and a heat source in order to have a fire. Take any one of those things away and you don't have a fire anymore. I love it because it's the exact same thing that happened with the apostles and the disciples at the day of Pentecost that we just saw witness happen to Cornelius and the Gentiles. Remember, at the beginning of Pentecost, the disciples would have already known the God of the Father, God the Father from all of the stories of the, 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 the leaving of Israel to going through the promised land. They would have heard all those same stories, grew up with them. They knew the God of Israel. They walked with the God Jesus, the God the Son. They had the second component. And then Jesus told them, before you leave, I got to go away, but I'm going to send something back. And when I send that something back, he's going to come to you. And when he sent the third element, the Holy Spirit, 
we watch fires of tongues leap from one person to another, and they begin to speak in tongues. It was the same evidence because the fire of God was stoked in their lives. We got to have the Father God, the Holy Spirit, and His Son Jesus put together in order to have this fire in our lives. If you don't have it, get it. See, the apostles' message of salvation was not incorrect. It was just incomplete. They had extended the grace of God and accepted the grace of God. And I knew it was for me. But they had not yet taken the grace of God to all nations. Now, that's what we need to know. Our message cannot stop here. If it does, it's not incorrect. I think most of us know that Jesus is Lord. Most of us are believers and saints. Now, if we stop there, it's incomplete. We have to take it beyond our own, so our own people groups. We have to take it to the world. And the world starts with your family. It goes to your community. It comes to your church, to the nation. goes to the world. If we work it, it works. Amen. Now, the last thing I'm going to say, and we're going to end it up. When they heard these things, again, they became silent. In the Bible in Genesis, we heard where the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And it was the, it was, the world was void. It was chaos. And as the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, then he began to call order out of chaos. I believe that's what God does with us in that moment of silence. They became silent. They had to think of everything they knew about their lives. They know what they had just witnessed and they know what they had just heard. And they had to contemplate that. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of their, uh, hovered over the chaotic thoughts of their mind. Silence. Hovered over the thoughts of their minds. And then when God ordered their thoughts, he gave them clear thinking. He said, now the, the Holy Spirit, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. All of us in this room have an opportunity for repentance of life. Yeah. Whatever it is that you have done that you know that the Holy Spirit convicts you of, whatever it is, great or small, you have an opportunity to repent of it. Confess it with your mouth, and then now you can repent and turn and walk directly away. Maybe your repentance is that I don't believe I have not confessed Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. If you're listening or you're in the room and that's you, this is the day that the Lord has made. We want to rejoice with you and be glad in it because you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to give us about 10 seconds. And I want us to seriously contemplate. And I want our prayer partners to come up. I want us, I know we got to go get our kids, but I want you to stay just for these few moments. I want you to let this silence hover over your thoughts. I want you to really close your eyes. Whatever you got to do, engage with God. If there's anything that you need to repent of, you can do it right there in your seat. You can do it right there in your living room in your car. But if you're in the room and you know that God is calling you to repent for whatever it is, there's no judgment. The only one to judge the living and the dead is God. Take this opportunity. Let the silence do its thing. Ten seconds. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus so that anybody that hears my voice right now, if they don't know you, God, and the pardon of their sins, that they don't know that they have been sinners and they are saved by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that they confess it right now. Believe it in the heart that you sent your son, Jesus, to die, that he died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day with all power in, their hand, in his hands. God, if they confess with their mouth and believe it in their heart, you said they're saved. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon them right now. God, we love you. Thank you for the message of your son, Jesus Christ. God, you are truly a chain breaker. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.